Welcome to the 1110 Leadership Podcast, where we tackle issues at the intersection of leadership, faith, and culture. I'm your host, Rob Shields, Vice President of Strategy at 1110 Leadership, and I'm joined by my co-host, founder and CEO of 1110 Leadership, David Spicker. Proverbs 1110 lays out a bold and countercultural vision. When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. We're here to ask, what does it look like practically to be this type of leader? Leaders willing to invest everything they have so that everyone around them can thrive. Join us on the journey as we lean in, listen, and learn how to become Proverbs 1110 kind of leaders. The kind of leaders that make our cities rejoice. David, how are we doing today? Doing well, Rob. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. We're, we are keeping the ball rolling. We showed people the money in our last, really two previous episodes, because that was just, how do you do money in just one? You can't. Can't be contained. You can hardly do it in two. <laughs> hardly. Hardly. Well, I don't think we're really lowering the bar on ourselves, though, for this next episode, because I, th- I think for our listeners who heard the way we landed the plane last time, you know, when you talk about money and you talk about whole life stewardship, you know, that naturally just presents some threads that are worth pulling on. So we kind of teased out where we were going previously of this idea of leaning into how does this actually impact who we are in relationship with, which I'm really excited about getting because this gets really practical, but also operates at a very high level at the same time. And so I guess we need to buckle up because we might <laughs> might get a little whiplash in today's episode. So David, help bridge our listeners from the two conversations we just had and this conversation around what does it look like to have networks that are just as leaders? Well, you know, when you think about positions of influence and power, you think about the ways in which we build networks that can allow us to steward our influence and power. And a lot of those networks, if we're not careful, particularly for those of us who are in dominant culture, many of those networks look like us. And so they continue to operate within an environment where people who look like us have the power and stay in positions of influence, which does not allow us to experience more of the fullness of God that we have been talking about. And a lot of this even plays out post-COVID because, and just all the unrest that has taken place in our country, where there's been such a push for diversity and to have companies and organizations think about DEI plans, diversity, equity, and inclusion plans. There's a lot of pressure on leaders uh, right now to think about how diverse their organizations are, how diverse their networks are. So it's very relevant for us to think about it, one, in terms of how we think of our own lives and what does it look like to be just so that we feel like we have networks that are robust and have a lots of different types of people with whom we connect and who allow us to experience a full life. But then also, how do we react to this cultural uh, momentum, I guess, or pressure that's on us as leaders to think about being diverse as companies? And that can get tricky as we navigate that. So we felt like we needed to really address this as a result of our last episodes. 
Yeah, I like that when when we work with our groups, our just leadership groups, we outline this principle. It's one of seven that just leaders build trusting cross-cultural peer relationships. And so I think there is a very much, it's a natural next step to go here and talk about our networks from talking about money. Like you said, it is layered and it is tricky. So talk over a second before we go further, David, where have you seen this go off the rails, this conversation get derailed as it were? Well, the first way is that we don't see this as a gospel issue, that we actually underemphasize the gospel and think that this is just a cultural thing. This idea of having diverse networks, building cross-cultural peer relationships is seen as something that is just a moment in time and kind of the flavor of the month and something we need to do just to be good leaders or good for business. But in actuality, as we've talked about before, it's central to the gospel. It's how we experience the fullness of God. It's upholding the Imago Dei, you know, what it means for all of us to be made in the image of God. So uh, we can flip to that side where we just underemphasize the gospel-centeredness of this. And then on the other side, we can overemphasize quotas and diversity goals without ensuring that people feel safe in our environments. Like we're just trying to check a box. And Hmm. if we just hire, let's say, a person of color or a certain person with a certain background that's different, we have uh, done our duty and we've checked the box and we haven't really thought about what it looks like for our entire environment to be assessed in order for people who come from different perspectives can uh, come into our environments and be all that they're designed to be. So much what happens is people come in and end up having to assimilate oftentimes to a culture Mm. that's not their own. And we, those of us who are part of the culture, we don't even realize that's happening. You know, Mm. we, we don't even think we're part of culture because it's just normative to us. And so we can't see and recognize how unsafe our environment can potentially be for people who are coming in with different backgrounds. And so we overemphasize just checking the box and doing what we're supposed to do, but but not really doing a really good audit of how we can make that environment safe, welcoming, and in a, a place where everyone can thrive. Mm. Yeah, I think that where we tend to focus, where that gets off the rails in my experience, is it focuses more on the other individual like from the group that we're trying to add to our company? Like, how do we attract that type of talent to our our company so that we're growing in diversity? Which is not necessarily a bad sentiment, but it needs to be paired with looking inwardly and saying, really, what our, our friend David Swanson writes about, pastor in Chicago, this idea that, why have I been so comfortable with a lack of diversity for this long? Like, what about me or what about our company has actually been, why have we been con- this content? So it's more of a turning it instead of looking outward about how do I attract that type of person to my company? Why am I been the type of person that hasn't attracted that type of person to my company? 
what does that say about me? And I think that you kind of, that's the second part of that coin that I feel like oftentimes it's not, that's what contributes to an environment. I think not probably feeling as safe when that inner journey isn't happening with someone who represents a dominant culture, right? Which in our, our society yeah. is white leaders. It's really a difficult question to ask ourselves. Why have we become content with that? Why have mm-hmm. we made that the norm? What has kept us from seeing that that's something that causes us to miss out on all that is is available to us? You know, we, we have to decenter ourselves from the story and mm-hmm. not put ourselves in the in the center of it. We have to move outside of the story and look at it with fresh eyes and see things that may be really difficult for us to see about ourselves. Hmm. And, you know, the other piece of this is, you know, we start there and then we also are like, well, then how? Like, what are the skills? What are the ways in which we can move toward people and address these issues within our organization that allow other people to see these things. It's quite challenging and difficult if we're, if it's hard for us to see it in ourselves, then how do we move a whole team to think about this as well? Yeah. I think what I hear you say is just leaders need to be very incredibly self-aware leaders and they need to see themselves very clearly. They need to be able to be very aware of their culture, their presence in a room, how their power operates and how those dynamics influence, you know, work relationships, especially if they're in leadership positions, because leaders are, are the cultural gatekeepers of an organization. And it's their job. Part of the burden of leadership is to create spaces that are safe and that where people feel like they belong. And this is not a, this is not a, a binary quick, easy. I mean, there's so many, when we mean diversity, that that means so many different layers, right? I mean, we're not talking about a simply just black, white, right? We're not talking about even just race in particular. When we talk about diversity, there are so many layers to this conversation, but I do think it starts with this leaning in to the mirror and really doing the hard work of growing in self-awareness so that you then can move towards people and invite them into something where they, there is the psychological safety and a sense of belonging because because they know that you see them and you see all of them and that your culture, you understand that it, it even has attributes to it and they're not just going to be analyzed as a fish per se that's jumping into a pond, but like you've done the work of assessing the pond and the health of the pond and you know where there were, there's work that needs to be done because we're not saying that you know, if you're listening to this conversation in leadership, you're like, hey, I don't think the bar is perfection here. And I, I wouldn't say that anyone is necessarily expecting perfection at a company, but that you're working on yourself. I think that's really the goal. Yes. And then you have to take your team through that process. Yeah. So that the team is also self-aware. Yeah. So David, t- let's let's actually dive in because you, you do a little bit of this in your book, The Just Leader, which... I'm excited we won't actually unpack all of what you do because you spend a good amount of time on this when it comes to this idea of DEI and diversity within the business context. But you frame this as really more of a justice-focused conversation, not away from diversity, but really you know framing everything under the umbrella of justice. And so I love what you do there. Can you kind of map out a little bit of what does it mean 
to be just in how we think about our networks and, and our specifically our kind of business relationships. Yeah. So when you think about justice, and again, we're coming from a biblical worldview, justice in the Bible is mostly restorative. It's about making things right, fixing brokenness. It's not just punishing wrongdoing, but it's restoring things to life. And so as we think about our companies and the way they're designed is how can they be places that restore where not only are we restoring things through our business and the actual work that we do, but there are also even places where people are restored. And so diversity and multi-ethnicity and having different backgrounds, you know, within your company is sort of a byproduct of being just. In other words, you don't want to get the cart before the horse. You want to be just at its core. And then hopefully that leads to uh, diverse networks and diverse people as a part of your organization who are thriving. But there certainly are organizations that are just without being multi-ethnic or having such diversity around the different types of backgrounds and people that are, that are at their places of work. So that's extremely important. I mean, there is a, a real sense of how we are connecting to those who are broken in our communities and how our companies have a, an eye toward the ways that we work are enabling those who are hurting to be winning and to flourish, which we've, again, talked about in other episodes. And how do we create access for people who may not have access and leverage our power for others so that everyone can flourish? So it's multifaceted as we think about what it means to be just, how that then impacts our networks. It certainly impacts the way we view success, which again, we've talked about before. It impacts not just who is a part of our company internally, but who we work with externally, how we engage those around us, how we think about doing deals and who do we do deals with? Um, it's typical for particularly you know, real estate investment deals to engage the who you know investors who are part of every project and who get opportunities to opt in on an investment deal, who are qualified in certain ways to be a part of that deal, and then they benefit. And then, and then when you raise money again for a new deal, you go back to those same people. Just leaders think about, okay, how do we expand this this group of investors if if it's always the same people and it's always the ones who are able to leverage their power and their resources for this opportunity and and gain more wealth and more power, then what are the ways in which we can allow others to be involved? Can we be creative and think outside of the box in the ways that we would allow others to participate? How do we build those relationships? How is trust at the center of those relationships? And how are we understanding that this provides a broad view of success for why we even do this? So those are the kinds of things that we begin to think about when we open our eyes to a just network. Mm. Yeah, several things stand out to me in what you're sharing. One is just the high degree of intentionality that it's required when, it things, when we think about 
how to build networks that are just. You also said something that really stuck out to me, this idea that you can be just as a leader and that not necessarily mean you're diverse. And I would say the same thing is also true. Like you can be diverse and not necessarily be just. And so we need to think about those spaces. But I would argue that on the path to justice, you, while your company or if you're in a church, et cetera, if you're pursuing justice, you may not necessarily gain diversity depending on the context, or there could be some there could be very real and practical hindrances to that. One of them may be you even deciding, hey, we're not safe enough. We're not ready yet. We haven't done the work yet to pursue that, which is beautiful. But I would say that the path to justice ultimately does mean diversifying our networks. I think that is an inevitable sign. Even if it does not show systemically or institutionally, I think it definitely pops up relationally on the journey to justice. No question. I think it's it's an actual affirmation of being just by having that organically and naturally happen as a result of people pursuing that. Yeah. So let's put some flesh on the bones here, David. When you think about examples that you've seen of just networks or just relationships, you know, across lines of, of difference that you would say, hey, this is on the road to justice. Um, what examples have you seen personally in your life? Well, the one that comes to mind immediately is the relationship between Chris Mangum and Pastor Donald McCoy, who were mentors of mine and the founders of Jobs for Life, the organization that I led for 18 years. Chris, a white businessman, Pastor McCoy, African-American pastor, who through a project that they did with one another, pursued one another intentionally after that project and had had lunch together every week on Wednesdays at noon, where they just spent time together getting to know one another. And as a result, their networks opened up so much so that they realized each had something the other needed. Chris was having a hard time finding employees for his business. Pastor McCoy had people in his church and in his neighborhoods who were struggling finding work. And they found other people who had the same need, businesses who had need for workers and pastors and church leaders who had need for people in their congregations to find jobs. And that was that was the beginning of Jobs for Life over 30 years ago. They wanted to have six people find jobs through that partnership that they created. And tens of thousands of people across the world have now gotten jobs through that connection that they made. And like you said before, it's just intentional. It was that didn't have an agenda other than getting to know each other. What was interesting is that Chris never had a, a, a relationship like that with someone like Pastor Don, Pastor McCoy. Everyone in his world looked like him, business leaders, et cetera. And uh, the flip side was true. Pastor McCoy didn't have relationships like Chris in his life. And before, if if someone like Chris, a white businessman, came to engage with him, there was always a sense of an agenda that he felt from historical relationships that he had had with white men in particular. And so he was very resonant, or he, he's ap- uh, apprehensive about having that relationship with Chris. 
So it took time for them to build that trust and break through those walls. But through that, they began to open up their networks so that not only did that lead to Jobs for Life, but it really, in particular, changed the way Pastor McCoy looked at people like Chris, so he didn't put all of them in the same box. And then Chris began to lead differently at his company, and it actually added a significant amount of diversity within his employee base because of his sensitivity to that and the ways that they began to change their company culture to make sure that people of color who came to their company did not have to assimilate, but could be all that they were designed to be. Yeah. When you see those examples, they seem rare, but when you see them, maybe they're, they're so powerful because of how rare they are. I think of even two people who embody that for me, you know, Keith Daniel and Tom Drogi, who founded Resilient Ventures. And I can drop a link for people who want to hear more about what they're doing, trying to address the inequity in access to venture capital for African-American entrepreneurs. And this is a white former software CEO and a reverend and professor in Durham who are now in there raising their second round of funding, trying to back 25 different companies across the country to be able to give the same level of access to African-American entrepreneurs that white entrepreneurs have enjoyed for decades. And so when they go, it's really powerful to sit in a room. I had the privilege of sitting in a room with both of them and, and watching them present the vision to potential investors and just the the integrity and just the authenticity, knowing both of them personally behind the scenes of knowing that this business is is a product of an authentic relationship and that they really have invested a lot of time in each other and to getting to know each other. And, and just back to that level of intentionality that you talked about earlier, David, it's, it's really powerful. It can be life-changing when you see something like this and realizing that that opportunity is available to all of us. We just, it's not like they've unlocked a special secret, but it just requires work. And especially when societally, these are lanes where it just is easier to stay on the current of being around people that look exactly like us. It takes a lot more effort to turn the boat and swim upstream around this concept. So take us to the bottom line on here, David, when we think about Just Networks, what thought or idea or question would you like to leave our listeners with on this topic? Well, there's a lot we can say, Rob. A couple of things coming to mind. It really builds off of what you just mentioned. One is this starts very small. The examples we just gave were two people pursuing each other. You know, it's one person that each of them was pursuing. So expanding our network starts with one person. Hmm. It could be paralyzing to think about how we build diverse networks, but it always starts with one person. So I would encourage those of you listening, who's your one person? Who can you be intentional with to pursue them? And then expanding our networks, again, takes even a consistent intentionality where we refrain from always doing what's normal and easy. So I would encourage us when we're doing what we're used to doing, I hope that causes us to take a step back and to pause and instead try to think of a new avenue to find relationships and seek opportunities with people who who are different from us, who may not have had access that we have had or or other ways in which we can grow and expand those networks. So it takes a huge amount of intentionality to refrain from what's normal and to pursue that one person. 
Hmm. Yeah, I love this idea. And, and really, for both of the examples that we shared, it had personal and professional implications, right? And th- those lines were one led to the other in, in many instances. And I think even in our professional networks, we, we call them professional, right? But you were just kind of calling out the fact that they rarely are just strictly professional because you end up relying on people that you know that end up having personal relationships that end up, because that's, that's what makes it so smooth and easy because there's high trust. So what what is it going to take for us to develop those same type of high trust relationships, personal relationships that could then have some really, really neat implications for our work and for the work cultures that we're, we're trying to build. So I appreciate you going there, David. I think you've given our listeners a lot to think about. And I think this is one that should be repeatable many times over because this this is not going away anytime soon. I think this is going to stay relevant for a long time. Absolutely. Thanks, Rob. To learn more about 1110 Leadership, visit our website at 1110leadership.com. That's the numerals 1-1, then spelled out T-E-N leadership.com. That's 11-T-E-N leadership.com. There you'll find more resources to equip you on the journey of becoming an 1110 leader. You can also get connected to our growing leadership network. If you've enjoyed this episode, share it with a friend. To help others find us, you can also rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts.